Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. I wonder, have you ever had someone tell you that you look like someone else? Ever had anybody tell you that you look like someone else? I've had that happen uh, quite a few times before. Um, there is a local restaurant that I'll just leave, uh, leave unnamed in this moment. But every time I go in, there's always a couple of guys there that tell me that I look like a certain actor. Um, I look like a certain actor that they know. Now, the first time that I walked in there and they told me this, I had no idea who the actor was. So when I got to my table, I did what everybody does in today's culture. When you don't know something, I Googled it. And so as I look up this actor, I'm Googling it. And in my mind, I'm going, Going like, man, this cat, he's probably young. He's probably like young and chiseled physique, like maybe on GQ's like top 50 most handsome men in the world. He's probably on there. That wasn't until I Googled this dude. And man, when I looked that guy up, he is like 20 years older than me. Certainly no chiseled physique and probably not on any GQ list, which quickly allowed me to assume that dude don't look nothing like me. Not at all. Not a chance. Uh, However, there is somebody uh, that I continually get told looks a lot like me. And it's one of those that I do accept. I'm okay with. And that's my three-year-old son, Braylon. Uh, Man, when Braylon was little, we used to always have people who would walk up to us and they'd look at Heather and they'd look at me and they're like, Oh, he's so cute. And they're oohing and on. They're like, he looks, I see both of y'all in him. Like I see some of you and I see some of her. And when they said that, I didn't say it out loud, but I always thought you better see both of us in him. Seeing as how this whole thing came about. All right. And so he, I get told that all the time. He looks a lot like you so much so that uh, this past week, my sister-in-law um, was using one of these apps where like you can put somebody's face on top of somebody else's face and kind of compare the two. Some of you have done that. Stop it with your parents. Don't do that anymore, okay? But, like, she's using one of those, and so she put Braylon on top of my face. And can I just tell you, it was eerily similar. Like, it was really, really close to the same. And, you know, that's my boy. And he's going to look like me to a certain extent, whether he wants to or not. But I wonder, have you ever thought about the question, how much do you look like Jesus? How much do you look like Jesus? Like if there was an app where you could take your life and put it over the life of Jesus, how similar would it be? Because here's what Paul tells us in what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And here's what he says. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Paul says someone who is in Christ, they are continually being transformed into his image, into the image of Jesus. Theologians call this sanctification. Let's just all say that together sanctification. That was about as weak as 915. Try that one more time. Sanctification. Awesome. You're all theologians. Way to go. Take that home with you. All right. And here's what sanctification means. It means continually becoming like Jesus, continually becoming like Jesus. Scripture says that when, when we trust Jesus with our life, we surrender who we are to follow Jesus, that he gives us a new heart. Another big word, regeneration. He gives us a new heart that should beat for Jesus. And when it does, it should continually cause us to become more like Jesus. 
Now, if you're a parent in the room, when your child was young and they're an infant, you know that doctors monitor those children closely when they are young. And if they get to a certain point and they haven't changed like the way that they're eating or some of their physical abilities or maybe a certain growth spurt and they hadn't hit that at a certain age, a certain stage, then they'll begin to consult with parents because they're like, hey, we got a little bit of concerns, like Junior's behind or, or she's not eating quite like she should. And they'll begin this conversation because something's not quite right. They're not being transformed like like they should be. So if you're here today and at the outset of this series, you're going, guess what? Yep, I'm Christian. Like, mark it down. If I had to raise my hand, I, w- I would definitely be on that crowd following Jesus. But nothing in your life has really changed. Then you have to seriously evaluate, have you really received the resurrected Jesus? Because here's the foundational truth for our series. We're going to put it on the screen. When Jesus becomes alive in us, there will always be a difference in us. When Jesus becomes alive in us, there will always be a difference in us. Now, this doesn't mean that we will reach perfection while we walk this earth. But what it does mean is that we will continually be becoming like Jesus. If you got a copy of scripture, go to uh, Romans chapter 6. So we're going to be today, Romans chapter 6. I'd love for you to follow along, whether you got a hard copy, digital copy, whatever works for you. Um, Romans 6 right there and towards the beginning of the New Testament. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, we'll put some of those verses on the screen for you just to track along with me today. Um, today we're kicking off this series called Alive in Us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be right where you're headed to right now, Romans chapter 6. And we're going to look at the power that is available to us in Christ. Now, now here's what Scripture says. Scripture says that that when we trust Christ, when we exchange old life for new life, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead comes to live inside of us. Now, that's one of those you kind of like to sit on for a second, try to wrap your mind totally around. Same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. Same Spirit that healed the sick. That made the lame to walk again. That took a boy's snack lunch and fed thousands of people. The same spirit that raised people, even like Lazarus from the dead, is available to us. It comes to live inside of us. Now, this is a life-changing power. Like, that's really good news. But here's what we got to understand. That power, that spirit never leaves us the same. Never leaves us the same, but it continually calls us and challenges us to become more like Jesus. So that's what we're going to see in Romans chapter 6. And if you're, you're here today and you've never trusted Christ with your life, maybe there's never been that moment where you've fully surrendered who you are to follow Jesus. Here's my hope for you in this series. My hope is that you will see the power for you that is available in Jesus. And I'll just be upfront honest with you. Like I've prayed for you, prayed for you this morning, that your eyes would be open and that you would go, man, that is a power, that is a life that I do not possess. And I pray that God would open your eyes to the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. But for some of you, you're here today and you've trusted Christ. You, you've made a decision to follow Jesus with your life at some point. But if you're really honest, not a whole lot in your life has really changed. And so my hope for you is that as we encounter Romans chapter 6 and the truth of God's word, that, that you would have an honest wrestle with God over, am I really becoming like Jesus? And what does it even really mean to become like Jesus? 
So I think this, this series is going to be for everybody in the room today because if Christ is alive in us, there's got to be something different about us. So Romans chapter 6 is where we'll be. We're just going to look at seven verses today. Then we'll jump back in next week. And in our seven verses, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at four overarching truths today about this, about how to become like Christ. So four truths on how to become like Christ. Let's go Romans 6 verse 1. We'll go ahead and jump in. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Here's the first truth I want us to focus on today on how to become like Christ, and that is receive the gift of grace. Receive the gift of grace. Paul starts verse 1 with a question. He says, what shall we say then? And so if he's starting chapter 6 with a question, we don't even really know what he's asking about unless we back up a little bit. Now, for time purposes, we're not going to go back and read all of Romans chapter 5, but just to kind of give you the cliff notes of it, here's what Paul is saying in Romans 5. He's saying that we as people, all people, are unrighteous, meaning that God created us in his image to be like him, and every one of us, nobody excluded, went, my way's better, nope, I, I, this is better, this will be more successful for me, and we all chased that, and when we did, we became unrighteous. And we were no longer in right standing with God. But God had a great idea. In fact, I've heard it called his best idea. And that was grace. And it was free and we couldn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. But he goes, here's my gift of grace, which allows you to move from unrighteous, not in right standing with me, to become righteous again like me. So grace And here's what Paul says in verse 1. He says, in light of this gift of grace that I just told you about in chapter 5, what should we do? Hey, this grace is really good. What should you do with it? And so he asks a second question. He says, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, before that baffles you too much, let's understand what Paul just said. The reason he asked that question is because he just made a statement. Here's what he says, Romans 5, verse 20. He says, the law was brought in so that the trespass or the sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now, let's break that down. Paul had just written this in chapter 5. And now a few verses later at the beginning of chapter 6, he's going like, all right, hold on. We've got to clarify that real quick. Because some of you are going to totally misinterpret this idea about where sin increased, grace increased. And guess what? Paul was spot on. Paul knew us. Because not only in his day, but in our day today, you've probably known someone or maybe at a season of your life, you've been that person that said something like this. Oh, well, it's not that big of a deal if I do this thing or if I act in this way. Why is that? Because God loves me and he will forgive me. All right. Anybody have known somebody that's done that before? All right. I've been around quite a few people who said, oh, it's not that big a deal if I fill in the blank because God will give me grace. He'll give me grace. And Paul knew that people would think that way, not only in his day, but also today. And so very first thing out of the chute in Romans 6, he says, hey, receive the gift of grace. Respect the gift of grace. Understand the gift of grace. And here's one of the things we got to understand about grace. Grace is not a license to sin, but it is a freedom to love. Grace is not a license to sin, but it's a freedom to love. Here's what I mean, parents. 
Some of you have got kids and they have reached that dreaded age of 15 or 16 or whatever, however y'all told the DMV, they're old enough to drive, all right? And sometimes that's a good thing because they can tow little Johnny around and sometimes that makes all your gray hairs already fall out before they make it back, all right? But some of you got the kids and they're there. And when they get to that driving age and you, you buy them a car or they buy a car or you give them the keys, whatever that looks like, do you give them the keys to the car with the hopes that they will go all Indy 500 on I-20 and just start running 100-mile-an-hour loops around I-20. Is that why you give them the keys? No, absolutely not. When you give them the keys, you do so with the hope that they will feel valued, that they'll feel loved, and then you pray that they will feel the weight of the responsibility of the freedom that they've been given. And here's what Paul says. Guess what? It's the same way with God's grace. Guess what? God's grace is absolutely sufficient to cover any sin of our life. There's no shame of our past. There's no sin that's so big that God's grace cannot cover it. But God gives you grace not to abuse it, but so that you'll feel valued, so that you would feel loved, and so that you might understand and worship him because of the price that was paid for that grace that was given to you. See, grace was not given to us so that we might sin more, but grace was given so that we might love more deeply. And Paul is saying that, hey, if someone is born again into Christ and they choose to surrender themselves to Christ, they cannot continually and habitually commit sins. Now, he's not saying that a believer will not sin or that a believer while they're on this earth would ever reach the place of perfection. Not happening. But what Paul is saying is, he says, there is a definite change of direction when a person is born again. If someone's going to go, yep, identifying with Christ, follower of Jesus, there should be a noticeable change of direction with their life. Because before they lived in sin, and now they live a life to go, no, I want to separate from sin, to follow Jesus, to please God with my life. Now, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that when we're in sin, we are dead in sin. Notice the preposition there. We're dead in sin. But once we choose to fully follow Jesus with our life, we become dead to sin. Big difference in the in and the to. No longer dead in sin, but we are dead to sin. And what we realize there is that in that moment of being a believer, is it possible for someone to potentially fall back into old habits? Yes, but... Once they are in Christ, they will no longer be satisfied there. They will no longer be comfortable there. Because before they enjoyed the life of sin, where now when they return to the life of sin or they return to that habit, all of a sudden the spirit and the weight of God's conviction is on them. Here's what Paul said, or excuse me, what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, live as God's slaves. So Paul poses this question. Should we go on sinning? He quickly answers it. Absolutely not. And then he points to the very act that allows grace to come into our life. And here's what he says. He says, we are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? So to kind of back up this argument about why we shouldn't continue to live in sin, he says, hey, guess what? Like your whole status with sin has changed. 
You've actually died to sin. You're no longer dead in sin, but you're dead to sin. You're not living in it, but you're trying to separate yourselves from it. In other words, those who tasted life in Jesus, all of a sudden the life of sin becomes distasteful to them. Around uh, here, sometimes we'll say it's okay not to be okay. In other words, there are no perfect people. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. See, in Christ, we should never find ourselves in a continual state of living in sin. Why? Because our relationship status to sin has changed. Think about it like this. Right? Think about a, a, married, or a young couple that's about to get married. Man, they planned the whole wedding. They got the nine months in place. He's done a lot of yes ma'am and yes ma'am, whatever you say, whatever you say. So they're, they're happy at this point. They got photographers in place, the cake, the whole deal. Daddy's paying for it, so it's all good. They got the big honeymoon lined up. They get married. The ceremony happens, sign the certificate. The whole thing's in place. But then for the whole year one of the marriage, the husband every night, when it comes time for bedtime, he gets in the car, drives back to mom and daddy's house, and he sleeps there. How many of you know that ain't going to work real well, all right? Why? Because the relationship status has changed. And Paul says, guess what? It's the same way when you're in Christ. Your relationship status to sin has changed. And when it has, it changes the way that you live. So what does this practically look like to receive grace and continually leave the life of sin. What does this look like? Well, I'm going to throw a few darts at the dartboard, see if anything sticks. All right? I think it could mean putting accountability in your life to call you out when you're acting or living in anger or in pride. Just give somebody permission in your life to call you out. I think for some people it can mean stop putting yourself in social circles that you know aren't a Christ-like influence in your life. I think for some people it could mean stop putting yourselves in situations where you're tempted to cross the line with a member of the opposite sex that you're not married to. Just stop. Don't go there. I think it can mean uh, stop listening, stop watching things that lead to negative thoughts or emotions or negative actions in your life. Just turn it off. You don't need it anymore. Uh, I think for some people it could mean unfriending or unfollowing uh, that person or certain people on social media because they conjure up negative actions or negative thoughts in your mind that are not reflective of the grace that you, have, you say you have received. Paul says it. He says, we are those who've what? Who've died to sin. So here's the question. How shall we live in it any longer? Why are we going to keep going on in it? See, when we fully receive the gift of grace that God has offered to us, we will realize it's grace that changes us. We don't change us, but grace changes us. Here's uh, what the great pastor Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon called A Call to Holy Living. Uh, you guys look at this. It's on the screen. It says, you are not a Christian because you lead a Christian lifestyle. Rather, you lead a Christian lifestyle because you are a Christian. There are tens of millions of religious people in this country of ours and countless millions in other lands who are staking their eternity upon the notion that they are Christians because they try to lead a relatively Christian lifestyle. But if that were possible, why do you suppose that the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian theologian and missionary of all time, would have spent three chapters talking about justification, talking about how grace moves us from unrighteous to righteous before he ever got to the subject of how to live the Christian life? The simple truth is that you can imitate a Christian life and you can fake a Christian life, but you cannot really live a Christian life until you are one. 
See, the first way that we become like Christ is to receive the gift of grace that we cannot earn, that we do not deserve, but that comes in and, and changes us. All right, let's go back to Romans 6. Pick up verse 3 where we left off. It says, or Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's the second truth on how to become like Christ. Identify with Christ. Identify with Christ. Now let's kind of walk that through a little bit. Now the, the original Greek word for baptism, which Paul just used there, um, it means to submerge or to immerse or to cover something. Now, multiple times in Scripture, Scripture uses baptism um, in a lot of different ways. So one of those is it talks about water baptism. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus himself is baptized, and, and he is baptized with water, meaning he's submerged or immersed or covered in water. Uh, Acts chapter 1, it talks about baptism of the Holy Spirit, where they are covered or immersed in the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 10, Jesus actually talks about being baptized in suffering, which is kind of a different thought, but it's what Jesus says. And then finally, right here, what Paul is talking about is he's saying you are baptized in Christ, meaning you're immersed or covered in Jesus. So what Paul's doing is, he's a good teacher, he's using this word or this symbol that a lot of people knew about to help these readers understand what does it mean to identify with Jesus? What does that really look like? Now, I think Paul gives us kind of like three different ways that we could identify with Jesus in these verses. So let's run through those real quick. First, we identify with Jesus through baptism. Now, water baptism was in this day and still is a first step into following Jesus. Why is that? What does baptism do? Baptism identifies a believer with Christ in a public setting. Now, here's what we believe. As the exchange, we believe that baptism does not save you. It cannot save you. But it is the first obedient step for a follower of Jesus to take. And if you profess to follow Christ, you'd be willing to profess and follow him through baptism. And we, we think when someone exchanges old life for new life, next step, baptism. Once they have believed, then they are baptized. That's why we call it believer's baptism. And that's why we don't baptize infants. They have not believed. Once they have believed, then they could be baptized. Jesus, Matthew chapter 3, thought so much of baptism, he valued it so much that he, in his perfect state, being the son of God, wades out to his buddy one day in the water to John, and he goes, hey man, will you baptize me as a symbol, as a sign for everyone who will follow me from this day forward? So what is baptism a picture of? Well, it's a picture of the old life being buried with Christ and the new life being raised out of the water. That's why you hear us say sometimes, as we put a person into the water, old life buried with Christ raised to walk in newness of life, in a new way of life. And by God's grace, over the last three and a half years, we've seen 81 children and students and moms and dads and grandparents and teachers and high school dropouts and business people and addicts and single adults, and the list goes on and on, people climb into the baptism waters and publicly declare what Jesus has done in them personally. I mean, there's not a more beautiful picture than to hear the story of a redeemed heart. However, baptism is merely a picture of a greater identifying with Christ. Because get this, unless a person has fully surrendered themselves to fully follow Jesus, not about me anymore, old life of sin and self, gone, following Jesus, unless that change has happened, all the baptisms in the world won't help them. 
All the baptisms in the world won't help them. Baptism is merely a picture, but it's one way that we identify with Jesus. Well, what's the second way that Paul gives us? He says we also identify with Jesus in death. In death. When a person puts their faith in Christ, there is a death that occurs. That's why part of the baptism picture is old life buried with Christ. Scripture says that we all, everybody, suffers from the condition of sin. And here's the big side effect of sin. It's not that it makes you bad or worse than your cousin or worse than your mama or worse than your dad. Sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. Sin makes us dead. Paul alludes to it. Ephesians 2 verse 4. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Here it is. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace that you have been saved. See, we were dead in sins, but because God is a merciful God, he didn't just leave us in that dead state and say, good luck with that. No, but he loved us so much that he gave us grace. He gave us Jesus to say, I will rescue you out of your place of death. How did that exchange happen? Because Christ was willing to die. Death. So we identify with him in death. Scripture calls us to die to self. And we're going to talk more about what that looks like in a second. But that's the second way I identify with Christ. Baptism, identify with him in death. And then here's the third one. Finally, Paul says we identify with Christ in life. In life. God not only raised Jesus to life, but God also offers that same newness of life to us. Check this out. Colossians 2 verse 12. Paul writes, he says, Hey, having been buried with him in baptism, old life gone, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised you from the dead. See, here's the deal. Walking in a new way of life is a sign, a a fruit, if you will, of someone who has a new life. If you got a new heart, you're going to live in a different way. That's what Paul said in verse 4. He says, we are raised to a new life. Not basically the same life. No, we're raised to a new life. In other words, a saved person is a changed person. They are different. There's a big difference between old and new. Um, I have never walked onto a car lot and bought a new car. Any of you ever bought a new car before? Just willing to confess that right here in front of everybody? Awesome. Okay, we got some people there not willing to confess it. Some people are, it's like, it's like this. It's like they're, they're thinking about being honest. Maybe, maybe. Okay, All right, I've never bought a new car. I'd always go the little more affordable route, buy the old car. But when I walk into a car lot, a used car lot, it never ceases to amaze me the, the ability of a dealer to make an old car look new. Man, they will, they will wax that bad boy. Looks like it's got brand new paint on it. Get that whole bottle of black magic. Just coat that whole tire, man. Just make it shiny so you can see yourself in it. All right, tires is where it's at. You got to get them tires looking good. You know that. And so you get the tires looking good and they shampoo and vacuum on the inside. Make it, make it look all good. And then my favorite part is to hang the little new car smelly thing on the, on the rear view mirror. And then when you get in, they just pull it out real quick. Like, man, it smells new. But guess what? If you crank that bad boy up, look at the odometer, raise the, the hood, look at the engine, guess what you going to tell? That ain't no new car. That's used. Why? Because there's a big difference between old and used and being brand new. And here's what Paul says. When, when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't just renovate what we got. No, he totally rebuilds us and makes us new. 
And one of the greatest joys of my life is to watch within our spiritual family here where almost week after week, I watch some life that is broken down, that has seemed hopeless, that's been enslaved to sin, and Jesus gets a hold of them. And man, he doesn't just fix them up and band-aid them and slide them out on the used car lot. No, he rolls them out as a brand new model because Jesus makes us new. And when we identify with him in life, man, we roll around like the brand new Rolls Royce because we are new in him. We're new in him. So identify how? Baptism, identify in death, we identify in life. Look back at what Paul says next, verse 5. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Here's the third truth today about how to become like Christ is to bury the old self. Bury the old self. Paul says, Verse 5, if you have been united with Christ, meaning if there has been a recognition of the grace of Jesus that we talked about, if you've received that grace, if you've died to sin, then your old self should be crucified. Your old self should be crucified. Here's how Paul talks about it personally for him. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For some of you, the greatest thing that you could do today to become like Jesus is to have a funeral for your old self. To have a funeral for your old self. If you're truly at that place where you recognize and you receive the grace of Jesus and you realize the life that is really life only comes from Jesus and you fully surrender to him, you should bury your old self, your old desires, your old ways, your old way of doing things, not just slide it off in the closet, but bury it for good. And for some of you, You need to have a true burial of your old self. Here's what I know about you without even knowing you. Many of you have tried before because it sounded something like this. God, I don't want to live this way anymore. God, this, this is the last time. No, I know I told you that last time, but no, this is the last time. God, I'm tired of doing things my way. They keep failing. God, I don't want to be this way anymore. And some of you, you've gone so far as to put the old self in the coffin. But guess what you did? You went back and got them out. Because you've never truly buried the old self. Why? Why would you do that? Well, for some of you, you've, you've never buried the old self. Because for some of you, quite frankly, you, you never realized that Jesus offered you newness of life. That had peace, that had hope, that had joy. And over the last few months, or maybe the last few weeks, or maybe even today, as you're listening to the truth of God's word, God, man, he is just opening your eyes to see like, man, there there is something that Jesus offers in a new way of following him that this old life, it can't give to me. And God's opening your eyes to that. For some of you, you've never buried the old self because you've got a fear. 
you got a fear of losing control. You think if I bury that old self, then man, I might not be in control anymore. And I like being in control. Or for some of you, if you're really gut level honest, you would go, you know what? Like, I don't know about this burying the old self to follow Jesus because my concern is if I start this whole Jesus thing and following him and really I'm surrendering everything, then like it might not be as much fun as the old way of doing things. And I kind of like having fun. Can I remind you of something? God is the one who created joy. Like life and joy were his ideas. So what makes you think that he's just sitting back waiting to hold those things back from you? And he says, I want you to follow me and find abundant life that the old life can't give you. For some of you, you've gotten to that point where you've, you've said, hey, I surrender to follow Jesus. And maybe it was five years ago or 15 years ago or five weeks ago. And you go like, I'm in with this. Like, I want to follow Jesus. But for you, you keep getting this urge to go back to the coffin and try to pull the old self back out. And Paul looks at you really graciously in Romans here and he goes, stop it. Stop going to pull the old self back out. That's not who you are anymore. Don't live in that. We are those who have what? Died to sin. Bury the old self. How many of you ever had a horrible boss before? Just raise your hand and feel good about it. All right. They micromanaged you. They cut your pay. They were harsh. They didn't take care of you. All right. We've all had a bad boss before. I want you to think with me for a second. That you, you resigned that job, all right? You sang you a country song on the way out the door, and you said, this is it. It's quitting day. I ain't coming back here no more. I don't even remember how the lyrics go, but it, it makes you feel good, don't it? I mean, you're just like, this is it. I want you to imagine you resigned that job. But after you resigned that job, every day after you, when you woke up, you got back up, you got back dressed, and even though you weren't an employee anymore, you walked back into that business, and you go, guess what? I'm here to work again. What can I do? Well, we, that's dumb right there. Don't, nobody's going to do that. Why? Because that's dumb. And we go, that, that, I would never, ever, ever, ever do that. But guess what Paul says? He says, every time you keep going back to that old life of sin, you keep surrendering yourself to a master that Jesus died to set you free from. And Paul says, quit getting back up and going to work for the wrong master. Man, when we identify with Christ, we bury the old self. We're not that person anymore. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your old way of life, to put it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What do we do, Paul? Put on the new self to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the self I want to be. Paul says, how do, you, how do you become like Jesus? Receive the gift of grace. Identify with Jesus. Bury the old self and don't go back to the grave. But there's one final verse that I want us to see today. Romans 6, verse 7. Paul says, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Here's the final and closing truth today on how to become like Jesus. Live in freedom. Live in freedom. Paul kind of finishes out this illustration that he's in of, of slavery, which would have been really relevant to his leaders at that time, or his readers at that time. And he says, death equals freedom. Death brings freedom. Now see, here's what the enemy will tell us. The enemy will tell us that when that old life dies, when we had that funeral, we bury the old self, the, the world and the enemy will tell us that there's a loss there. 
man, you, you lost some of that fun you had. Like, you lost some of those things you enjoy. You lost getting to go out with your bros and check out. Like, you lost that. And the world will tell us there's loss in that death. But what the world and the enemy can't tell us because they don't comprehend it is that there's actually gain in that death. Because the old self carries weight. But the new self brings freedom that the old self can never offer. And the world will never tell us that. But here's what Paul was realizing. He, he, he realized that people during this time, they understood this. They understand that when a slave died, they were finally no longer under the reign of their master. <clears throat> and for some slaves, that was how their, that the, the reign of their master was broken, was only in death. And they looked forward to that day because the rule of their master was so destructive. And here's what Paul says to you and I. He says, as believers, it's the same way, except it's so much greater. Because for us, our death with Christ, because of that, when we identify with him in death and the old self is buried, we no longer have obligation to respond to our sinful nature. We may choose to do so, but we don't have to do so anymore. And we shouldn't do so anymore. And God goes, I alone, through Jesus, have the power to break the reins of sin on your life. I alone can do away with the old self. And here's the awesomeness of our God. Here's the beauty of his gift to us. As believers, our death and resurrection came with a price that we did not pay, but that was paid for us. Stories told of a man who refused to serve in the French army during the Revolutionary War under Napoleon Bonaparte, man, he was drafted, but he refused to serve. And when he got drafted, a, a friend of his says, I'll go for you. I'll serve in your place. And the army accepted the substitute, and they allowed the substitute to go forward. And not long after, this friend who had agreed to serve and go to battle for his friend lost his life in war. He lost his life in battle. Sometime later, the same man who was drafted before because of an error, he got drafted again. And he looks at the army and he goes, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not serving for you. I can't serve for you because I already died in battle. Of course, the soldiers looked at him like, dude, you're a little fruit loop there because I see you right there. You're not dead. You're talking to me right now. And he goes, no, go and check the record. Sure enough, they go and they check the record. And here's this man's name listed. And out to the side is the name of his friend who had substituted his life and given his life for him. Ultimately, the case made it all the way to the emperor of France and the emperor looked at all the evidence and here's what the emperor said. Through a substitute, this man has not only fought but has died in his country's service. No man can die more than once. Therefore, the law has no claim on him. And the man was released to go free. That church, that's the beauty of the gospel. That Jesus Christ put his name next to ours, over ours. And he paid a penalty of death that you and I deserve to pay every bit of. Why did he do it? So that we could live in freedom. Here's how Hebrews says it. Hebrews 10, 12. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, the final high priest, 
when he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Don't miss verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. How do you become like Jesus? Receive the free gift of grace. Don't abuse it or misuse it, but allow it to compel you to love. Identify with Jesus through baptism and death and in life. Bury the old self. Have a funeral for the old self and don't go back to the grave. And finally, rejoice. Like live with joy. Because Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, became our substitute so that you and I could live and walk in freedom. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.